In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope the birds are singing i hope the sun is shining i hope you're in the arms of someone you love and the world is treating you fair because that's sometimes the best we can hope for i'm here with an amazing guest the one and only adrian jones he's an author a survivor a podcaster a storyteller and i'm just scratching the surface he's if you should if you get a chance everyone it will be in the show notes, but check out his podcast called Profound Awesomeness. It's like a giant spotlight in search of stories that inspire others to live a more meaningful life and to seek out the important answers about what makes them who they are. Adrian Jones, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, George, thank you for having me. And and I, I love that introduction. Thank you so much. And uh, since we've started talking to kick off the podcast some of that hawaiian sun is making its way here into northern california uh so it was really cloudy earlier today and the sun is starting to shine and who knows throughout the course of this podcast may we have a lot more of that hawaiian sunshine basking down on us here in northern california it's so well said it's so well you have such an amazing story and it's and it's it's a beautiful enveloping story but before we get into that adrian I have some questions that I kind of wanted to use to break the ice, to set the story up and maybe help people understand who you are and understand the foundation of this podcast. So that being said, let me, I'm going to say, I'm going to say something and I want, I'm going to say something and I would love to hear your reflections on what I say. So let me say it. When I say the word relationships, what do you think about? I think about the most important aspect of my life. Okay. When I say the word meaningful, what do you think about? Things that I like to do with my time. Mm -hmm. And when I say the word values, what do you think about? Things I hold on to dearly. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I don't know if I, I passed it. the test. I have no idea. But that's what I was thinking about when you asked me. <laughs> well, there's no test. It's just, yeah. it's just this thing that I, I like to ask people sometimes to 
kind of give you an idea of what they're thinking at the time you talk to them. And since we're doing a podcast, it's a great way for people to remember some of the things you hold dear and how you define these things. And so, you know, I, I know that both you and I in our life have gone through some, some really challenging moments. And I would think that maybe we've learned a lot from them. And, and as we begin talking about them, you, you speak a lot about meaning in some of the stories that you write and in your podcast and the people you seek out to tell stories. Why do you think people should be looking for meaning in their life? Some people go through their life and they have this, they get up, they go to work, they come home, they do their dinner and they get in this weird routine. But for some people, they don't seem to really be looking for meaning. They may feel like they're okay doing what they're doing. Why is it that people should be looking for a deeper meaning in their life? Because I think in, in, from my perspective, seeking a deeper meaning is finding our true identity and living our best selves is what I think. Um, and I'm by full caveat, I'm, um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychotherapist by any stretch. Um, but I, from my own experiences, which I think we'll start talking about here right. shortly, is one I found greater, I'll put it to you this way. Um, I was living my life a certain way and doing the thing and uh, living married with children, having the job and the cars in the driveway and all that kind of stuff. And then what happened to me coming out the other side, I realized that, oh my gosh, I, as much as I thought I was in the moment and living a, a life filled with meaning, I wasn't. I mean, I was, but I wasn't going all the way to where I could go. And I discovered this whole next level of meaning in my life that I could explore. And when I found it, things became so much more enriched in my life, how I was living, what I'm doing, where I'm doing it, who I'm doing it with. Things started to change pretty dramatically for me. And I thought, my gosh, there's, I don't know what I was doing before, which was pretty great and where I was at the time, but coming through what I went through and coming out the other side, it was like, no, that was pretty cool. But where I'm at now is so much deeper, so much more, it's cooler. Uh, and as I like to say, you know, thank you for the plug on profound awesomeness. It's profoundly awesome uh, to, to live a life full of meaning. Yeah, it's well said. It's well said. I always like to tease the audience a little bit before we jump into the story. I'd like to set it up like that and get some people's perspective on there. But you have an incredible story. And, and I've found a good place to always start is at the beginning. So let me turn it over to you. And uh, maybe you can set it up and, and begin to tell people what it was that allowed you to live a more meaningful life. Well, yeah, and I, uh, I, I want to be sensitive to our time here on the podcast because I could, I could yeah. go for a while on the story, but I'll, Perfect. I'll try to tell it as, as succinctly as I can. And um, you know, it all start. I, I guess where it really starts for me is in the fall of 2016. Um, I live in in Northern California, just north of San Francisco, in an area called Marin County, which is the birthplace of mountain biking, and the, there's a lot of great mountain biking trails. The terrain uh, is very hilly. If you're going to go mountain biking, invariably, you're going to be riding straight up a hill. I mean, it's just the way the terrain is here. And you're going to go up, 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 and then you're going to get to ridge lines, and then you can explore the, the, the ridges around the area. I think approximately 80% of Marin County is protected open space. There's a lot of trails for hikers and horseback riders and mountain bikers to explore our beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Well, for me, um, 
one morning, it was October 8th, 2016, I went mountain bike riding with three friends of mine on a trail that I had ridden several times before. And like I just described, it was a trail that required you riding up two stages of, up, of, of ascents to get up to more of where the uh, things flattened out. And we were riding to a reservoir called Lake Lagunitas. And um, going up the, the second stage of the climb, uh, I lost all the strength in my legs in a snap of a finger. Like I'm pedaling up. I'm, it's, 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 a, it's a laborious climb as it is. It's called Shaver Grade for, for any listeners who are in the Northern California area and you're a mountain biker, you may know it. Going up Shaver Grade, I lost all the strength in my legs and my three friends continued to pedal on ahead of me. And all I could do is gasp and gather myself and figure out what was wrong. And I concluded that I had had too much sushi the night before and too much sake and not enough water. And I was dehydrated. So I drank a lot of water out of my camel back, got back on my bike and do, did everything I could to muscle my way with no strength in my body to catch up to them climbing up this hill. I eventually caught up to them. Oh. They were they were fortunately waiting for me at, in in mountain biking etiquette. When you get split up as a group, you wait at the next trail juncture. Everybody stops and waits till you get back and collect yourselves as a group. And I caught up to them. They're waiting for me. And the it was all I could do, George, to get off my bike. The world started to spin in the most terrifying and frightening way. It was as if I was on a roller coaster spinning in a merry-go-round. I mean, it was just a, this this crazy experience and so i got off my bike it crashed to the ground and i ran over as best i could to the side of the trail and started to and I, forgive me for the tmi bomb here but started to throw up all the contents of my stomach all over the place and again all i could think about was oh my gosh i had sushi but not only did i have sushi i have food poisoning from sushi and that is why I'm being sick and I have all these, um, I lost my strength and I'm feeling dehydrated. I had sashimi with a side of bacteria. That's what happened. So I stopped throwing up. I felt a little better. And, and my friends were, looked at me and said, Adrian, we can't keep riding. Like something's wrong. And I said, no guys, I feel great. Let's keep charging up ahead. Let's, let's do the intended ride around Lake Lagunitas. To a man, they said, nope, no one's a hero today. Something's wrong with you. So we agreed to go down the trail, but just a different way, down the hill rather, down a different trail. And it was going down that trail that I started to experience chest pains. And I was riding my bike, sort of moving myself around, moving my chest around, moving my shoulders around, trying to evacuate, which, which I thought was a burp or acid reflux or something to do with, with um, food poisoning. And I got off my bike. The pain bothered me so much. I got off my bike and I lay spread eagled across the trail. No joke. And I, I lay there pounding my chest like um, uh, like a King Kong and start pounding my chest, wailing away at myself, thinking I could evacuate this burp or acid reflux that was causing me so much pain and discomfort. And it really hurt. It hurts so much to breathe, George. You, it just is so hard to describe. Think of a million needles in your chest just pricking your the inter your internal chest cavity as you take sips of breath. I got back on my bike. My friends were waiting for me at the next trail juncture. And at this point, I'm so weak, I can't, um, I can't control my bike anymore. One of my friends got on his bike and went tearing down the trail to his house to get a car where he would meet us at the bottom of the trailhead. And myself and my other two friends, we walked down the trail. I was using Strava, the, the, um, the exercise recording app um, that's pretty popular. 
And it took 40 minutes to walk down from where we were to where my friends met us with his car. He threw me in his car and he raced with me to the hospital. And we drove to go to the hospital. You had to drive literally right by my house. I mean, I could throw a stone from his car window and hit my front porch. And my kids were home alone. My wife was in Colorado on a work trip. And I just didn't want to go to the hospital with, with my screenager kids, as I like to call them. And they were 12 and 14 at the time. And I said to my friend, his name is Brad. I said, Brad, take me home. He said, nope, no way you need help. I said, and I'm laboring to breathe. Just like all I could do to breathe without any chest pain at all. And I said, look, I don't have my driver's license. I don't have my insurance card. Just take me home. I will have uh, Pepto-Bismol and Alka-Seltzer, drink some bubbly water. I'm sure I'll be fine. He's like, nope. And he's driving, like barreling down the boulevard with his hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel, right? Like white knuckling and holding onto the wheel like someone's going to rip it out of his hands, so to speak. And we pull into the hospital. I got out of the car and just walked right to the triage desk and said, my name is Adrian Jones. I'm 46 years old. My chest hurts and I'm having trouble breathing. And that is the hack to get into the emergency room really, really quickly. Because <laughs> I had a nurse next to me in seconds with a gurney. And they had me on that gurney and took me into the emergency room where they wheeled into a room full of monitors and they put me on, a, on another bed and attached leads to my chest and did an EKG, which measures... The, the, the rhythms of your heart. And I'm talking to the technicians that are doing this procedure and I'm telling them that I have food poisoning through my labored breathing and, and the pain, the absolute crushing pain in my chest. And they didn't talk to me. They barely looked at me. They looked at the monitors. They ripped the leads off my chest and they ran down further into the, the, the bowels, if you will, of the emergency room where they swung those blue curtains around me so I could have my privacy and nurses descended upon me and started to put you know, um, IV lines in my veins and, and oxygen reading meters on the tips of my fingers. And a nurse came in and put a defibrillator on my chest. And right behind her was a cardiologist, well, a doctor who walked into this little space and said, Mr. Jones, I'm the cardiologist on staff today. I'm here to tell you you're having a heart attack. And I got to tell you, that was a really powerful moment for me. Um, I had several thoughts all at once. One of those thoughts was, thank God and thank goodness I'm in a hospital um, and I'm no longer out on the trail right now. I'm, I'm somewhere safe where I can be cared for. I also thought that I, I had this premonition, if you will, not even a premonition, but it's is almost out of body experience that I'm looking at myself, looking at my mortality in the mirror. And that was very, very crazy and surreal. The um, nurses were moving really, really fast, doing all sorts of things to prick my arms. They were trying to draw blood and put an IV in my, I mean, it was, there was a lot of action around me. It was all a blur. I'm laboring and laboring and laboring to breathe. It hurts so much to breathe. And a nurse came, came running in, over to me and she held two forms that were waivers. One was to do open heart surgery and the other was to do a, an operation for a stent procedure. And I was so weak, they put a pen in my hands 
And I'm so weak that I couldn't sign the waivers. I just no energy, no strength in my body whatsoever. So I held the pen as tightly as I could. And she took the contracts and just swept them. So the, the, the ball tip of the pen um, just left a mark, a, a, you know, just a line across the, the documents. And they're like, good enough. And they, they ran with me to the cath lab, which is the operating room for the heart. And 45 minutes later, I was told after the procedure, it took 45 minutes. Um, I had a, a new stent in my left anterior descending artery, also known as the Widowmaker artery. And I had a whole new lease on life. And the pain in my chest went away. And I could breathe again. And as far as I was concerned, I had made it. So that's the probably the chapter one of my story, but, um, but yeah, so, um, and I have to tell you as, as they were, I, I forgot to mention as they were running with me down to the cath lab in the hospital, I'm on the gurney. There are probably two or three nurses that are pushing IVs and, and the, and the gurney and I'm, I'm laying there and the, and ceiling tiles are racing by overhead. And I had three thoughts. My first thought was, and this was before going into surgery, of course, my first thought was, I do not want my wife to fly home a widow. She was in Colorado and I did not want to put this at her feet. If I was going to check out, I really wanted to have a proper goodbye. Two, my second thought was, why, oh, why did I leave the house and not tell my kids I love them? I ran out of the house to go meet my friends to go mountain bike riding. And I didn't tell my kids, you know what? I love you. I'll be back in two hours. Instead, I just said, I'll be back in two hours. And I vowed in that moment, that's never going to happen again. When I say goodbye to my kids, they're going to get an I love you from dad. They're going to know where they stand. And then my third thought was, this is not going to freaking happen to me today. This is not my time. I'm not checking out of here. What's going to happen is I'm going to walk out of this hospital of my own two feet, of my own volition. That is exactly what's going to happen today. Um, so those were three thoughts that really steeled me, if you will, going into surgery and framed a lot in terms of who I am today and, and how I orient my life. Um, so there I so there I was going back to after the surgery in the cath lab. I'm breathing without pain. I'm breathing these huge gulps of air that just were so lovely <laughs> um, to not have pain and just to be breathing again. And, and to know it, it, even though no one had verbally assured me that I was going to be fine in my heart, sorry for that. In my heart, I felt that I would be fine. And they wheeled me into the ICU um, recovery wing in the, the cardiac recovery wing and the nurses uh, attached me again to more, I more lines and more monitors. And I had leads on my chest. And uh, I think I had a, a blood pressure cuff on my arm and I, other things, a lot was going on. I was the only person in the, the, the only patient in the room and the last nurse walked out of the room and, and swung the curtains to effectively close the, the, the door, the, the curtain door behind him and I was left alone with my thoughts for the, for the first time since I entered the hospital and I know this is really hard to fact check but what happened 
was so supremely powerful. I heard a voice in my right ear that said, find your birth parents. And I knew right then and there, well, let me just clarify for your, your audience. Sure. I'm adopted. And all my life growing up, I'd known I was adopted. I'd had open conversations about ultimately doing a search for my biological family, my, my first parents, my birth parents, my natural parents, however you want to say it. Um, I had thought about it, but it was never, never something that I had ultimately wanted to do or was ready to do. But right there, fast forward to the hospital bed, this voice in my right ear said, find your birth parents. And in that moment, I said, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find my biological family because, you know, I'm 46 years old. I almost checked out of here. And maybe, maybe they wanted to know how I turned out. Maybe they were waiting for me to come find them. Maybe I had siblings who ultimately wanted that knew about me or knew of me and wanted me to show up in their lives. Um, and I wanted to find out if heart disease runs in the genes because I led a, up until that point, a pretty healthy, well-balanced, led a healthy life and had a well-balanced diet. So why did this, this plaque, what ultimately happened to me was a plaque rupture in my left anterior descending artery that was 100% blocked when they started to work on it in the hospital. So I'm very, very, very lucky to be here. It's not lost on me how lucky I am. Um, but going back to what I was saying, like I needed to figure out if heart disease runs in the family for me, uh, but especially for my children and their children, my future grandchildren, whenever they, uh, I'm, I'm blessed to become a grandfather, which hopefully not anytime soon, not ready for that yet, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so there we are in the hospital and I'm a heart attack survivor and I'm a, an adoptee who's got this compulsion from a power greater than me telling me to go find my biological family. Wow. It takes a moment just to try to let that sink in. I can't imagine being in a situation where it's almost, it almost sounds to me like, like a death and a rebirth. Do you feel like part of you died when you were on that hospital gurney or on that bed? 100% in a way. Yes. And, and, and I love this question because um, I'll add a little more context to my yeah, story. Please. So I was born. Now I grew up in Colorado in Massachusetts, went to college in LA uh, in the early days of my career. I lived in Hong Kong in Brussels. Um, but I was born in Marin County where I'm talking to you from now um, and I was born in the very same hospital in which I had the heart attack surgery. And more interesting in terms of this rebirth or being born again, if you will, is that I was discharged from that hospital. It used to be called Marin General Hospital. It's not called Marin Health. But anyways, at the time, it was Marin General Hospital. I was discharged after my heart attack on my birthday. So effectively, I was born... In 1969 at that hospital. And I like to say I was reborn um, at that very same hospital on my birthday, uh, 47 years later at the time. So yeah, yeah, in many ways, in many ways, this was like 
Holy cow. And, and when I, and I did ultimately, I, I didn't walk out of the hospital the same day. That wasn't quite possible. Uh, <laughs> I was in there for a couple of days. Um, but when I did leave the hospital, when I was discharged, they offered me a, a wheelchair and, and I, fortunately I had the, the strength and the capability to walk out of my own two feet of my own volition, which, which I was very excited about. But it, when I walked out of the hospital, I looked around, it was a, another beautiful fall day. It was you know, October 10th and 2016 and i just was like oh my god what are the odds that i had a heart attack and in the same county in which i was born and i was at the same came out of the hospital on october 10th 47 days apart i don't know it just there there was something there again with the the voice in my right ear and this happening to me i'm like what is what is going on there's something bigger happening here yeah, I don't I don't believe in coincidences. I think a coincidence is what you get when you put together a, a poor theory. And so, you know, there's there is something bigger going on there. And you know, I, I think that what you're tapping into is the the meaning of life is there for people if you're willing to listen to it. And you know, why do you think it is that people don't really get to taste the full flavor of life until they have a tragic experience like this. What is it about that? I don't know. I don't know if we're pre if we're hardwired and preconditioned to just charge forward and, 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 and tackle what's right in front of us. And, and, and that is how we live. I, 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 I'm not sure, you know, George, it's a great question. It kind of Not, reminds me. It kind of reminds me of sulfur. You know how sulfur has like multiple burning points. Like it'll sulfur. Yeah. If, for people that don't know, sulfur you can melt it, and then at a certain pressure it gets hard again, and then at another higher heat it'll melt again, and it almost feels like a like this idea of this death and this rebirth, like a melting point and then a solid. And I think of they say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And if you think of your life moving up in a helical pattern catching this new sort of information, understanding and becoming this new version of yourself that is a better version of yourself, that can love more, that can feel more. It sounds to me like that's what happened to you. 100%. 100%. Like I, I tapped into some really, really cool stuff that was yeah. unbeknownst to me. I didn't know it existed. And I'm that person that you were just alluding to earlier, just moments ago, like, why aren't we tapping into this? Like, I thought I, I genuinely thought I, I was, and I was trying to practice that, you know, that be here now, you know, that phrase, be here now, be in the moment. Like I was actively working on that and being a father of two young kids and, and, and watching them grow up, like doing everything I could to be present and in the moment. But what I realized to your point, coming, coming through this heart attack and, and my, my adoption, which ultimately I think we'll talk about it, my search and reunion, it led me to, to discover that I had holes in me that I never knew needed filling, and which brought me, once I started to fill these holes, I started to experience such greater meaning, such greater fulfillment, such greater intention in my life, um, which, was, which I didn't know was available to me because I wasn't looking for it. And I, I just didn't have the time to invest in, in seeking that, uh, seeking that out. So, you know, what, what happened to me is so I, so I, I'm discharged from the hospital. Right. And I've, 
I have no idea how the heck I'm going to find my biological family. The first things first is I got to get home. I got to get back on my feet. I've got to like figure my stuff out. So, you know, my, I got home, my, my wife had flown home from Colorado and, and we got home from the hospital and what they do once you ha- go through a cardiac event like that is, is it is highly recommended that you go through what's called cardiac rehab. Cardiac rehab is a three-month program where you go into a, a specific facility that has various uh, uh, workout machines like treadmills, rowing machines, exercise bikes, reclining bikes, you name it, uh, are, are in these facilities. And they, they being nurses, attach leads to your chest so they can monitor your heart rhythms and they check your blood pressure periodically. And over the course of these three months, and you go there three days a week for one hour each session, you slowly work your way back. So when I first went to cardiac rehab in the fall of 2016, I walked gingerly on the treadmill for an hour. And that was all I could do. By the time I I graduated out of cardiac rehab, I was running on the treadmill. I was a sweaty, lathery mess, just like, but but I had physically made my path to, I had made, gone down the path to recovery, not only physically, but also psychologically that I had proven to myself that I could work out again and really press, push my body and my heart, my, my um, aerobic capabilities to push it and to, and to get to a sweaty state. <laughs> Sorry for the TMI. And, and, um, and, and that was very good psychologically. And then I, the first time I went out socially in town, so I, I was kind of a, a hermit for those first few weeks out of out of the hospital. I just wanted to focus on myself and hunker down with my wife and kids and, and just deal. Um, but in the middle of November of that year, I went to a costume fundraiser, and um, which was a lot of fun. But it was interesting to go out in public after you've gone through something as traumatic. And I wasn't sure how the community would you know how people would come up to me what yeah. they would say and i didn't want it to be about me i just wanted to go to the event and have a good time but anyways a couple came up to me and said oh my gosh adrian we heard what happened and i and i i gave them the 30 second version of of what i shared with you earlier and the the the, the wife of the couple leaned into me and she said hmm is this genetic and i said well i don't know i'm adopted she leans in a little closer and she said um have you ever wanted to find your, your biological family? I said, not until now, but now I really do. And then she leaned in even closer and she said, well, where were you born? And I said, well, right down the street at Marin General Hospital. I'm beginning to wonder why she's, and I, I knew her loosely, but not very well. And I'm wondering why she's asking me all these questions. She leans in even more and says, um, what's your birthday? I'm like, thinking to myself, why does she want to ask all these questions? Why, my, why is my birthday relevant? But I answered and I said, October 10th, 69. And she said, and, and, and mercifully, our conversation was broken up as other people, other guests came up and sort of broke up the conversation, which was, which was great as far as I was concerned. That night, she, she brings her phone up to me later and, and she shows her phone and she's like, uh, it has a table on it of all the um, children that were born in Marin County on my birthday, October 10th, 1969. There were five um, kids that were born four of the five had traditional names like john doe jane smith whatever um 
And there was one listing for a baby that was born. It didn't have a traditional name and it just listed the last names of the biological parents, Kyle and Kelly. And in this email, or sorry, in this, in, so she showed this to me and I said, this is too much for me to process. It's midnight mm. of this night. I, I need to go home. So the next day she emails it to me. I, I did give her my email that night. And, and she's like, presumably this could be you that, um, because that, that, that strange listing of the baby without a name is how California lists unwed births to unwed parents in their California birth index. And presumably these could be the last names of your biological parents. Kyle for the, as my, my birth mother's last name and Kelly for my birth father's last name. And she's like, do you want to know more? And I replied back right away. Yes, I absolutely want to know more. <laughs> and so a couple of days later we went for a walk and this, at this point I'm able to walk the trails and I took our dog and um, it turns out this, this woman, her name is Christina, who is now a very good friend of mine. Uh, Christina is a genetic genealogist and she helps adoptees find their biological families. And she asked if I would like her help. I'm like, heck yeah, I would love your help. Like when I was ready to start searching, I thought I would just Google how to find your biological. I didn't even know where to start. And here I've got this woman who I effectively met two days earlier, three days earlier at this party, who's a genetic genealogist. And this is what she does for a living. So she's, she's like, okay, well, so tell me what you know about your biological parents. And I said, well, I don't know much, but I do know that my biological mother, at least what I think I know, what my adoptive parents had told me was that she was Norwegian, had brothers and was Catholic. And she's like, great, that's a ton of information. And she goes, um, what about your biological father? And I said, all along, I thought he was Italian, but um, this last name is Kelly and Italian, Kelly's Irish. So I, Maybe there was something goofed in the paperwork, so I don't know. No, I said, and, and I remember my parents had told me he was a um, a real estate uh, title age, uh, title officer in real estate. And she goes, great. Okay, that's a lot of information. So we finished our walk, and as I guess all genetic genealogists are want to do, she had an Ancestry DNA kit in her car. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> I need you to spit in this vial. So I spit in the vial and, and gave her, you know, the vial back and I drove home going, what have I done? I, I've just met this woman, Christina, and I've given her my DNA and, and there's no contract. There's no paperwork in place. Like what the heck? But then I rationalized that I need to lean into this. The universe is doing weird things to me right now. It's, it's something really powerful is working and presenting things to me. And I just need to lean into it and see where this takes me. So two days later, I'm out on the trails again with my dog. She sends me a text. She goes, where are you, Adrian? And I said, well, I'm walking the dog. And she said, I got something I want to show you. I said, at this point, I know where she lives. And I said, great, I'll be by your house in 20 minutes. Show up at her house. She sits me down at her kitchen table. And she says, I've been doing some research. I go, okay, what's that? And she goes, well, presumably, you're, there's, a, there's an, a child of unwed, adopt, of unwed parents, excuse me, a child of unwed parents whose birth mother's last name was Kyle. And she said, so what I did is I went through all the counties in the Bay Area, Marin County, San Francisco County, Alameda County, Contra Costa County, looking for women of childbearing age with the last name Kyle, K-Y-L-E. She found two. One of them, she explains to me, gave birth in September of the same year I was born. I was born in October. So that eliminated 
that particular woman. Um, and then that left one other candidate. And Christina asked me, can you guess where she lived? This was Finding Women of Childbearing Age in 1969, right? She was, can you, can you guess where she lived in 69? I said, I have no idea. And she said, just take a guess. I said, I can't. Just tell me. And she goes, she lived, I'll give you a hint. She lived in Marin County. I'm thinking to myself, well, I guess that's not surprising. I was born in Marin General. If this is, in fact, my birth mother, maybe that makes sense. She goes, can you guess what town? I'm like, I don't. How could I guess what town that she lived in? And she goes, just take a wild guess. I'm like, I, I can't. Yeah. She goes, okay, I'll tell you. I'll help you out. She, she lived at the time you were born. She lived in a town, a little town here, the center of Marin County called San Anselmo. And I flip out because that's the town that my wife and I moved to in 2006, where we lived at the time. I'm like, how's that? And she goes, yeah. And guess what? I did. I did even more research. I built her. I built her family tree and ancestry, followed the hints and all this sort of stuff. And it turns out that her her grandparents were of Norwegian descent. And I could see that she had two brothers. So that checked out what you told me on our hike a couple of days ago that she had couple of brothers was of Norwegian descent. I'm like, okay, wow. Okay. This is really interesting. And this woman, her name, her full name was Sharon Kyle. And she was 24 years old in the middle of 1969. She could figure all this out. This is what genealogists and DNA sleuths can do. They can find all this crazy information. And she goes, so I did even more research. I'm like, oh, okay, what'd you find? And she goes, well, she was 24 in 1969. I rolled her age down to when she would have graduated from high school. So when she would have been 18, would have been around 1961, 1962, 63, somewhere in there. And I looked at all the, the local public high schools in, in Southern Marin County looking for the Sharon Kyle. And I didn't realize this at the time, but yearbooks are public record mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're available. And, and so she was, you know, perusing through those and in the public high schools found no Sharon Kyle um, that graduated from any of the local, the local schools here. And she explained all this to me and I'm nodding and okay, fine. And then she goes, but then I remember you said she's Catholic. And at this point, George, I start to lose my mind. And I had a visceral explosion within my body. Like things started to just spin and I had butterflies and stomach flips and goosebumps and chills racing up and down my arms, up and down my spine and legs like, whoa, no, no, no. Um, and she goes, yeah, so I, I went and looked at the local, our one and only Catholic high school in Marin County. And I start, I start grabbing onto the, the kitchen table and yeah. holding it really hard. I'm like, oh no, don't tell me what I think you're mm -hmm. about to tell me. And, and I, and I literally said, don't, don't you dare, you're about to tell me something. She goes, yeah, I found out that Sharon Kyle graduated from, um, Marin Catholic high school in 1962. I'm like, I lose my mind. I'm like, how is this possible? Our daughter was a freshman, was two months into her freshman what? year at this very same high school. She was unwittingly walking under her maternal or paternal grandmother's um, uh, senior year photo <laughs> when, we, when my friend Christina made this discovery. She'd been walking every day in the administrative building because she had classes nearby. I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is happening? Um, and Christina said, yeah, I thought you might have a reaction like this. And she goes, I want to show you something now. 
Okay, what do you got? I got nothing left. Like tears are blowing right. down my cheeks. Right. I'm like, how said the San Anselmo thing, this Marine Catholic thing? I stand up and look over Christina's shoulder at her laptop screen, and she's got a picture of a, a girl. And I, it, the instant I saw it, I jump up and I said, "That's her." That's her. I know that's her. And it, what I was looking at was a quiet, kind of grainy black and white photo of a sophomore year girl in high school taken in 19, well, it would have been 1960, I suppose. It was her sophomore year picture in the yearbook. And I knew instantly that that was, I, I said to Christina, I've looked at that picture, or sorry, I've looked at that face rather in the mirror for 47 years. I know those eyes. I know that smile. Like that has to be her. And Christina said, well, I thought you might have that reaction. I, I, I think looks looks are pretty compelling here. <laughs> <laughs> and I drove home from her house, just tears exploding out of my eyeballs. I, I It was uncontrolled, but this, this, this powerful release of, of all this pent up stuff that I didn't even know I had within me just was, was flowing out of my body. And like, holy cow, like, we don't know for sure it's her because we don't have DNA proof, but everything checked out about what we knew about her and what my new friend, Christina, my genealogist was able to find. And the picture was a no doubt in my mind kind of situation, but we need DNA. And so um, we had to wait for DNA, which came in in December of that year. And in the meantime, she went looking for my biological father with the last name Kelly and that he was a title officer. And so that's all we knew. We went searching. Well, I say we, that's she went searching. And lo and behold, she digs up uh, somebody by the name. And she's looking through microfiche files at the local, um, the, the county seat here and of people who've been uh, from the late 60s, people who, with the last name Kelly who were title officers. She was looking at hirings, promotion announcements, wedding announcements, obituaries, just trying to find anything I hit. And she found one for someone named Ron Kelly who graduated from one of the local high schools here. And, and I'm not with Christine at this time. She sends me a text. She texts me. She goes, are you sitting down? I'm like, oh, no. Now what? <laughs> And I take a seat and she sends me income. I see the, the little squiggly lines or whatever, the circles in the, in the text thing. And it's, she's sending me something. And then boom, a picture, a black and white picture, a headshot of someone's senior year picture in high school. And it was a picture of this Ron Kelly. And once again, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my nose. That's my jaw. That's my smile. That is me. Um, that's the other part of me. No doubt about it. That's got to be him. How and he was a title officer in nineteen in nineteen sixty nine at one of the lo local title agencies, but we didn't have DNA for for any of it, so it, it was all just our assumptions, and it felt really, really, really right. And in December of that year, DNA came in from Ancestry, which mapped me into their families into ironically first cousins of Ron and first cousin of Sharon, and so I had DNA into the family, and we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, these are my biological parents. Man, you're making me cry over here. That is, it's, it's, I'm still trying to process how that, how, how that can happen after such a traumatic event. And so what do you do with that information once you get the DNA? Like what's going through your mind before you talk about what you do, like what's going through your mind at this point in time? 
You know what's going through my mind is no, yeah. no, <laughs> no idea. idea. No idea. No, I'm, I'm what's going through my mind is I am I am determined, like I am at a light, I'm at an inflection point in my life that everything is changing. I just survived a heart attack. I'm a survivor. I'm living a life as a survivor. Like that in and of itself, and like regaining my life, reclaiming myself, my confidence, my physical abilities, my psychological abilities with my body. I'm reclaiming all that. And I'm, the inflection point is, is, is just massive because I'm also now chasing down my biological truth and my history and how I came to be. And I was hellbent on getting those answers at this stage. Now, all my life growing up, I, I knew I was adopted. I knew there were parents, biological parents are out there somewhere. I assumed I had brothers and sisters, siblings. I didn't know anything about them. Whatever I knew, I shared with Christina and with you guys on the podcast. But I was going to get answers. Now I was determined to get answers. And I was once and for all going to get going to figure this, some things out. And what and and what we also knew and the powers of social media, namely Facebook, is really good for um, doing some sleuthing work. We were able to ascertain that both my biological parents are alive, were, were alive and frankly still are. Um, and um live within an hour drive of where I live now. And by further sleuthing and just Googling and Facebooking and you name it, we were able to determine that I have three sisters, two paternal and one maternal. Uh, no brothers, but, 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 but three sisters. And once I knew I had sisters, I was like, oh. <laughs> I was raised with a my I was raised with a younger sister, and and so I was like, oh, this is wonderful. These these biological sisters, they're all younger than me, um, but boy, I was like, do they know about me? Are they waiting for me to show up in their lives as their big brother? Like, what are? Do we have the same senses of humor? <laughs> do we walk alike? Do we laugh at like? Do we have commonalities? Like, what? I've got to figure all this out. So all this was going through is to say is this is what's going through my mind at the time. Okay, so if we add another dimension, was like in my mind, I can see your kids and your wife like rallying around you, like, yeah, we figured this thing out. Like, what was going on? Can you share a little bit about what was happening in your family life as you were figuring this out? Yeah. So I think for my kids, this was a lot to process, right? Because they had just seen dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they knew I was adopted. It was no secret to my wife or my kids that I'm adopted. Like, it's all very open, it's part of who I am. But I think all of this in the fall, um, of and, and early winter of 2016, like they were watching their dad or husband just go through this metamorphosis. Like I lost a ton of weight coming out of the hospital from a heart attack survivor. Like you get scared straight <laughs> and I changed my diet and I'm working out religiously. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm shedding pounds and, um, just eating and trying to obey all the, the rules of the road for my diet and all this stuff. They're seeing this. And then they're watching dad go through this, this, this discovery process, which I would share with them at the dinner table. Every time Christina and I had a new finding, a new aha, found something else that's new. We, I would at the dinner table, share that with my kids to, and my wife to keep them up to speed. So there was nothing that's that I wasn't like, you know, I'm an open book. I wear every, my emotions on my sleeve. I just put it all there. So I wanted them to, to, to keep pace. And I think for them, they were like, Oh my, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like dad's going through an awful lot right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
I, I wonder, did, did your kids have some of the same questions about like, oh, I wonder if these are my grandparents or my aunts and uncles. Did, 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 what were they? Were they thinking along the same lines? You know, they they were and they weren't. I think okay. that they were they they were both young and old enough all at the same time. They were young enough where I mean, it was all relatively new um, and they were open to it. They were old and they were old enough in that. And I was very, very clear with them going through the process that your grandparents that you know that have that you've been around for 12 or 14 years, those are your grandparents. Those are my parents. And my sister is your 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 Anisari. Like that doesn't change. Um, whatever we find here is going to be additive to your lives. We're going to make sure that the, it's additive. And so they were pretty excited about they were excited about that. Um, and when we kept sleuthing and doing our homework and we found out that my maternal sisters also live about an hour drive away from where I live and my paternal sister lives about an hour drive from where I live. So everyone's basically, everyone's an hour drive from where I live. And, um, what we did found out, however, is that there were no kids next generation down that were my kids age. So that really bummed them out. Like, oh, <laughs> we don't have cousins that would be our same age. We could hang with them. Like, no, they had very, 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 very young cousins um, who were, you know, at the time, ages not yet born to probably five or six or something like that. I'm trying to remember. But so very young relative to my kids. So they were they were excited for a moment. Like, oh, we could have cousins our age to like sort of deflated like oh well we have cousins that's great but no we can run around with and play with so or hang out with i should say they were at the age of hanging out they were beyond play dates but <laughs> right yeah. as as you were learning all this stuff you know sometimes emotions come in pairs with the good and the bad and i'm wondering was there any like resentment that you were feeling at the same time you were feeling this amazing like awe or anything i felt no i i that's a great question and i felt no resentment good. i harbored no ill will I went into this with an open heart and I just literally, I, I, again, I don't mean to play off my heart of the meta, the metaphor or whatever, but I, I, I literally just opened my heart to this whole process and just wanted to take it all in. Uh, Cause I knew this was, this was once in a lifetime material. Yeah. And I guess the only relationship we really haven't covered. What about the parents that raised you? Were they aware of what was happening? They were just similarly. Um, so ultimately, my 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 main plan coming out of the hospital, mm -hmm. going back to when I was discharged, and I I had that compulsion in my ear to go, you know, that voice saying, "Go find your birth parents." What I was my my big plan was I was supposed to see my my adoptive my parent parents mm -hmm. um, around the holidays, and at that time I wanted to sit down with them over a cup of coffee or whatever, a glass of wine, you name it. And just have the conversation. Hey, I think I need to go find my biological parents and do that in person, face to face, really chat through so I could read their body language. We could, if we need to hug anything out, we could hug it out on the spot. But instead, because I met Christina, who just shot us out of a cannon with this rapid fire research right out of the gates, I had to call my parents early on in the discovery process, like basically the day after I saw that picture of Sharon as a sophomore in high school. I called my parents and said, okay, guess what? I hope you both are sitting. I had them both on the phone. And I said, I hope you're sitting down. I got to catch you up on some stuff. So yeah, I shared with them what was going on. And, and you know, it was interesting because all those, as I alluded to or mentioned earlier, 
growing up, like we had the occasional conversation about finding our biological parents and they would be fully supportive of it, but be careful what you find out. It may, mm. not, may not be all that you hope for and all this sort of stuff. But when I'm now they've got a child, me, who's doing the search, I think for them it became very real. And like, oh my gosh, and it's a happening. My parents live on the East Coast. So, so their son is now doing the search for his biological family on the other side of the coast and other side of the country, excuse me. And I think that was hard for them. So they were tender and, it, and they were emotionally tender, supportive, but tender, I would say. So you get, you, you, you are reborn. You, you have this incredible, I call it a miracle to be able to find things so fast like that. Right. You get, totally. the, you, you get the DNA, you've got people around you. What's the next step? What do you do? Well, it's a, so I got the DNA. Um, it's December of 2016. I know for a fact I ran into. So then there's like, then what do you do? That's the ultimate question. As there's, there are, I, I suppose, I never looked. I suppose there are books about what to do. Um, <laughs> I, I Googled, what do you do when you find your biological parents? Like I could call them. I knew their addresses. I knew where they lived. We found their addresses online. I could go knock on their door. Um, I knew where they were on social media. I could send them a, a, a DM through social media. Uh, I knew their email addresses. I could send them. I mean, we could. That's amazing what you can find if you put your mind to it out there. Um, but ultimately, what I decided to do, and what I thought was most fair for them and their circumstances, is I decided to send both Ron and Sharon letters, sent delivered the same day at the as close to the same time as FedEx would allow. Uh, in January of 2017. And I would surrender myself to fate. I would put it out there. I, I wrote them three page letters that I, you know, the search started as a result of a heart attack and I'm seeking medical answers and, and, and any um, congenital risks that may run in my genes now, not only for me, but for my kids and their kids. And I, uh, I proceeded to explain that I have a big heart. I'm, I'm willing to share it with you in any way possible that you're open to, if you're open to it. And I don't harbor any ill will or anything like that. I, I, I'm not angry or resent, resentful or bitter. Like I just, I'm ready to meet you. And here's all my contact information. And here's a picture of me and the, and my family. And I sent, sent the letters. They were sent, uh, delivered at the end of January 2017. And a few days later, I got an email from Sharon. And the subject line was, thank you. And in this email, she said that she had been, she'd never changed her last name in the hopes that I would come find her. Isn't that crazy? I, she, you know, she, um, she got remarried turns out in the early 80s and she hyphenated her last name because she wanted to keep Kyle as 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 a last name and she would and she would later explain to me that friends at the time it wasn't common for women to hyphenate last names um and so friends would ask her like why are you doing that and she said in, in her mind very privately it was so that the son I gave birth to could come find me but she outwardly said so she could remember what her what her name was growing up is sort of how she she played it off apparently mm -hmm. but anyway so so in this letter was like thank you i've been um i've you've you, i've been waiting i didn't change my last name the hopes you'd come find me uh you have a sister you have two nephews and a niece of course all this i knew because of the sleuthing we'd done and i replied right away and we talked the next day 
And I have to tell you, George, hearing her voice for the, we talked on the phone the next day, hearing her voice for the first time was incredible. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I could probably try to write a book about just that moment, hearing that voice that I had heard a long time ago in utero. I heard that voice and here I was hearing it again. And it hit something so deep inside of me. I don't even know where it was, but it was super duper powerful. And we talked for probably two and a half, three hours, super emotional. Um, she told me all about her relationship with Ron, my bio, you know, my biological father, that they had been engaged. They were in their 20s and they had been engaged and along I came. And, and when she realized she was pregnant with me, she came to the realization that um, she was not supposed to be marrying Ron and that um, she would put me up for adoption in a in a in a family that you know has a loving mother and father and and does have it you know, would have some catholic upbringing elements to it um so i thought at that point well i i'm probably not going to hear from ron because that i'm sure he, they were engaged and she ended the engagement and put their unborn child up for adoption it's probably a very emotional dark period for him so i was like oh gosh poor guy i probably i may not ever hear from him but we agreed we'd see each other a couple days later and as we wrapped up the call, I made a joke. I said, she goes, first she said, when I see you, can I hug you? <laughs> and I said, Sharon, that's going to be the first order of business we do. And then I, I said, I followed that up and I tried to just, we had such a deep, intense conversation about so much of each other's lives. I, I wrapped up the call by saying, I can't wait to see you again. Sort of thing, <laughs> trying to be a little fun and irreverent and flippant or whatever. Yeah. And she said, she goes, I've never seen you. I asked her, I said, what do you mean by that? And she goes, well, in those days, if you were giving birth as an unwed mother, you're giving up a child for adoption, rather, you were sedated. Oh. And I don't know how this whole thing works, but she was sedated when she delivered me. And she explains to me on this phone call, she said, your grandmother, my mother was there when I gave birth to you. And she was, she when I came to, after I, my sedation wore off, she was sitting next to my bedside and she said that she got to hold you and you had the, you me, being me, you had the face, face of an angel. <laughs> That's all she had to hold on to all these years, all these decades was, and I'm not saying that I do have a, that I'm just relaying the story. I don't know if I have a face <laughs> for an angel or not. I, don't have a, I have a face for podcasting and radio. I don't know. But anyways, that's beside the point. The point is like, that's what she held on to all these years. Um, and we saw each other, we met each other two days later and, and, the first thing we did is the first order of business was we hugged. And that was like, again, like hearing her voice for the first time. It's ethereal. It's, you can't put, you can't describe it. It's, it was being lost in the moment is, is probably the best way I could describe it. Wow. I, I don't even know if I have any words to, to say there. I've got some tears, but I, I can't, I can't imagine you know, in some ways, it seems like it's the ultimate theory to replace a broken heart. Yeah, I don't. I don't More than one broken heart. Yeah, yeah, I know. I maybe that's God's way or this bigger power's way of thoroughly healing a heart is finding, allowing you to find a way to to mend the the life that. I, I don't even I don't have any words for it, Adrian. I can't, I can't even say anything, <laughs> I get it. man. I, I get it. Words. 
Oh man. Oh gosh. Well, I, I get it. And you know, you, you said earlier that there are no coincidences. I used to be the guy that would, you know, my Liz, my wife would say from time to time, well, everything happens for a reason. I'd be like, what do you mean? It can't happen for a reason. That's, that's impossible. You know, for all of us, like all us 8 billion people on this planet, everything happens for a reason. How is that? Rem <laughs> how could that be? But going through this, having the heart attack, surviving the heart attack, going out to, with the intent to find my biological family, being introduced, like being gifted this in, this introduction, so to speak, to Christina, the genealogist, who was willing to help me, who did the research, found my biological, the fact that I, I was raising my kids in the same town in which I was in her belly when she was carrying me, like, blows i had no information about that yeah. in, in any of the files that i had or whatever my parents had shared with me like no like how is that possible and, and she went to the same private catholic high school i don't know i mean it doesn't it doesn't make it it everything does happen for a reason i suppose is what i'm getting at um you know and and i'll, I'll just i'll just sort of sort of keep going a little bit more and, and sort of bring, bringing things, bringing things home. But um, we, so Sh Sharon and I met and we hugged. And the first time we met, we sat and talked for six hours in, in a hotel lobby in, uh, in, uh, in Berkeley, California. And I had brought a childhood uh, photo, photo book that my mother had given me at my wedding. Um, it's like sort of the, one of the presents she gave us, for when, when we got married. And I thought it was very suitable and appropriate to bring that as an, as to share with Sharon, like here's the, my childhood through the eyes of my mom mm -hmm. and let's share it together. And so we went through that, we went through all the photos and Sharon is, is, is a, just really interested in details. We went through all like picking apart photos and who's this and what's that. And when were you, how old were you for this and that and da, 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 da. And so she and I for the next several weeks would see each other and we would meet for coffee, meet for lunch, you know, sorts of things. But she told me that she'd never told her daughter that I existed or that there, that she had previously been engaged, but she had told, she did tell her husband um, that she had been, uh, there was a previous engagement and an adoption situation. Thank goodness. So he knew all along before they got married that, that I was out there presumably, um, but their daughter did not. So I, I said to Sharon, I said, I will work with your timing, but I am compelled to meet her, my, my sister on that side. She goes, you will just give me a little time. I got to find the right time to break the news to her who uh, heretofore had been raised as a only child. Right. And now she's about to find out the big, the big, the big surprise, the big reveal. Ha ha. Hello. Here's a brother in your life. You're not the only child, so to speak. Um, so I said, fine, I'll, you just tell me when and I'll be there, but I, I am compelled to meet her on Ron's side, Ron, I, I never heard back from Ron and I was starting to wonder, it'd been weeks and I'm like, gosh, maybe he it was really upsetting for him to get my letter. I know he got it because I sent things through FedEx and I knew it would have been delivered. Well, it so turns out through the powers of sleuthing and just getting lost in Facebook, this is how this happened. It turns out that his oldest daughter had, this is going, I'm going back to 2017 now. His oldest daughter had recently been dating 
the first cousin of a friend of mine in town. <laughs> if you follow that bouncing ball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sat down with that friend and I said, I don't believe this. I've got to tell you a story. And you know, this, this, per her name is Katie. I go, you know, you know, and I had a picture from her Facebook I, that I showed a picture of Katie. I said, this is Katie. And he goes, wait a minute, you know, Katie. And I go, yeah. He goes, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that this is your sister. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh my gosh, she would be so open-minded. She's like, of all the people that you would want to meet or would have this happen to, she's going to be like very receptive. She's great. We love her. It's too bad it didn't work out with my cousin, but but we think very highly of, of Katie. And that gave me all I needed because it turns out Katie is an interior designer and she's got a website with her email address prominently displayed on her homepage of her website. Again, the powers of Googling and searching, we could, you know, it's amazing what you can get on people. Um, and so I sent her an email and I just said, Hey, I'm a, I'm an adoptee doing a search. Turns out we're very closely related. Uh, it's important for me that, you know, I sent a letter to your dad. It was delivered on such and such date. I am out to, to, to seek answers to my biological truth. And I'm hoping that you would be open to having a conversation. Here's a link to my yeah. Facebook profile. Here's all my contact information. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Hit send. Like I said, I was compelled. Once I knew I had sisters, I was like, I am meeting all my sisters. This is so exciting. And um, she replied back the next day. She goes, this is a lot. I didn't say I was your brother. I just said we're very closely related. Um, she replied back the next day. She said that this is a lot to process. Please give me a couple of days to deal with this. I'll be back in touch. I replied back to her. Take all the time you need. I've had 47 years to think about it myself. I'm, I'm here whenever you're ready. <laughs> the next day, she sent me an email. She And she had CC'd all these other people who turns out to be her mom, her dad, her sister. Her, well, I would say her mom, our dad, our sister, so to speak. And um, saying, we've had a family discussion. It's all out on the table. We are so excited to know we have a brother and son. <laughs> and we can't wait to meet you. And I was like, got this email and I was just so floored. I, I, I was so emotionally moved. I, did, I was at work. I had to step outside to gather myself. And I called Christina and I read Christina the email that I got from Katie. And Christina goes, go into the office, pack up your bags, cowboy. You got to go home and meet your biological, paternal <laughs> your biological family. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, they want to meet you now. I'm like, what do you mean now? She goes, oh, I can tell by the tone of the, that email. They want to meet you today. I'm like, huh? So I applied back to Katie. I said, do you guys want to meet today? And she goes, if we could meet today, that would be ideal. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I raced home. I splashed cold water on my face. I put on a nice press shirt and tried to look as presentable as I could. And I went and I met with that side of the family. This was late March of 2017. And we had just an incredible time together and, uh, over dinner. And I guess, so I want to, so you had asked a question earlier and this was incredibly powerful for me around um, the sense of meaning as you go through these life events. So after I had dinner with the paternal side, with Ron's side of the family, you know, both the, the daughters, my sisters were there and we got along really well. I mean, granted, we were all in our best behavior and nervous and on eggshells and all that kind of stuff. But overall, it was a very good get together, a reunion dinner. And I called both of the sisters independently the next day 
just to check in on them. And I you know, talked to Katie for a while. We had a nice chat. And I, I, then I called the younger one, Amy, and we had a nice conversation. And she said, I, w- I couldn't sleep last night, the night after our, we had met for dinner. I was like, oh, no, why not? Why didn't why couldn't you sleep? And she goes, because I spent uh, I was up all night just crying. I'm like, oh, no. Was it something I said? Like, why were you crying? She goes, no, I'm just so happy. I'm crying with joy that that I have this brother that I've always wanted in my life. And it's, and it's you. I get you in my life. This is like and she said, I have holes in my heart that have been f- in my soul, rather, that have been filled. <laughs> I didn't even know I had these holes and if they're filled now that I've met you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was so moved by that conversation. And I started to think about it after we got off the phone. I'm like, I have holes that I'm getting filled now, too. And putting it all together, I had this confluence of things going come that are just making my life so incredible now. On one hand, you've got survive, what I like to call my survivor superpowers. I'm after surviving a heart attack. I have more meaning, more intent, more purpose. I have greater appreciation for what's going on around me, much more love. All these things that you would, uh, would suppose I like to, that happen to survivors. I like to encapsulate into the term survivor superpowers. And then on the other hand, I, through the powers of ancestry, I knew my ethnicity for the first time in my life. I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm not half Norwegian and half Italian. I've got all these other things. I'm, 30 something percent Irish and a lot of Scandinavian in me and whatever. That was really cool. But I got to meet my biological, my blood. I got to meet blood and I got to learn how I came to be and the circumstances that led to my creation and got to look at my biological parents in the eye and hug them. And my three sisters, I got to look and I did meet the maternal sister too around the end of March of that year and got to hug them and, and, None of the sisters knew I existed. And, you know, I, I, I like to call it, I had the Holy, the Holy, no, not the Holy Trinity. That's something else, but the, I'll call it the Trinity um, in adoption reunion situations. I, there's acknowledgement, acceptance, and embrace. And I had all three. They acknowledged me. Like they didn't say beat it. You know, you're, 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 uh, you're 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 trying to swindle us out of money, or you're you're this never happened. Our parents would never do anything like this. I never want to hear from you again. No, they didn't do that at all. So they acknowledged me. They accepted me. They said, "Welcome. We're so happy to have you in our lives." But all that, they embraced me. So it wasn't even just like, "Welcome, you're in the family." They're like, "Get into the family. Like, let's start hanging out and let's start building our own rituals and traditions and." Um, around the holidays or birthdays or our own, our reunion date that we have and start doing these special events together. Uh, and so I had all of this going, like I was accepted into this, these new families. And I, I just felt this just so much greater power in, 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 in me that it was just so, it just, it was profound awesomeness. Again, going back to the plug on my podcast, but uh, you know, not to overplay it, but I mean, that's literally what I was feeling. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I've, I've survived a heart attack. I've survived superpowers. I know my ethnicity. I know where I came from. I know it led to my creation. I know my biological parents. I've got sisters. I know them now. Like, oh, so much felt so in place for me. So much felt so in place for the first time in my life. And it was just an incredible feeling. 
I, I, I will never think of profound awesomeness in any other way. Like that is the very, like, and I mean awesomeness, like an awesomeness, like, you know what I mean? In the, in the sense of yeah. the word, like, awe, yeah. it's awful. Yeah. Like, man, I, I don't even know where to go. Like, I, I feel like just getting to hear the story took me on some sort of existential ride through life and what is possible and tragedy and meaning. And I can't imagine what I only know from what you've said, how you felt, but it seems to me that everyone in your life, not only did you get the Trinity, but everybody in your life got a form of that Trinity. They got acceptance. They got acknowledgement. And, you know, I, I get goosebumps hearing the story and thinking about it. What an incredible heart attack to have. I mean, it's a, it's a heart attack in so many ways, right? <laughs> totally. No, I mean, I've been, I've been asked, you know, it, it caught me off guard. The first time someone asked me this question, um, it, it's one of the few times it's ever been asked of me, but this was the first time after my heart attack, he, he asked, after I shared all of this with him, he, he said, Adrian, I gotta ask you, like, are you glad the heart attack happened yep. to you? I'm like, yeah. I think it may be one of the best, it may be the best thing. I don't, you know, I got married, I had kids. Yeah. So those were probably the best days of my life. But like, this is like one of the top events of my life. And look at what it's, look at how it's like, I'm a changed person. I'm a changed, like on so many levels. And I've got this, this new family I get to meet at, at the age of 47. I've got this entire new family. And it's not just two parents and three sisters. It's aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and, and so it just goes on and on. And it, like what a wild trip. Like you you think at least I thought I was married. I've been married for a long time and I got kids and I'm just doing the thing. I got my career and, and then boom, here I am with this new family and I get to meet them and we got to catch up on all this lost time, which was just a, so cool. So, so cool. Okay. So I want to take you back yeah. to the, to hearing the voice in your ear, like hearing yeah. this, you have to find your biological parents. Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you think that like, have you heard, or do you listen to your inner dialogue? Have you heard that voice? Is it inner dialogue, but do you listen to that voice? Does it come to you more often or is it a relationship now that you have of moving through life? You know, I've heard it. Um, I try to listen to it. Um, it, it, it's, it, it resurfaced again shortly after I got discharged from the hospital. Um, I would lay in bed and wonder why I survived. So again, I, when I got on the operating table, my left anterior descending artery was pretty much a hundred, you know, I was told it was a hundred percent blocked. I didn't, I didn't have sudden cardiac arrest. I didn't die and have an out of body experience. I'm not saying any of that, but, um, I would lay in bed and, um, wonder why I survived. Why am I one of the lucky ones right. when so many don't survive? What am I supposed to do? And I would just literally lay there and look up at the ceiling and, and wonder just why, what am I supposed to do with the second chance? Somebody tell me, I can't, do I just, I can't go back to what I was just doing every day the same way I was doing it. Like everything's changed. And this was before I'd really done the adoption and, and reunion and all that, the adopt the adoption search and reunion. I was just, coming out of the hospital and starting cardiac rehab. And the answer that came back was 
you survived to help and inspire other people by your story. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out there. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure out how I can help heart attack survivors or people who've gone through some serious trauma and, and see if I could help them on the work their way through it or help their loved ones who are helping you work your way through it. Or I could be an adoptee advocate and help adoptees, or I could help families who are getting this surprise email or letter from some long lost family, biological family member. I could help either side of that equation, help them understand and process and what to do with it. Yeah, I could get out there. And so that led me eventually to the, to even including podcasting, but that's the other time that it really spoke very clearly to me uh, was, was in your, in the hospital and then laying in bed, you know, so it's find your birth parents and then use your story to help and inspire other people. Yeah. I, I, I can't, imagine anybody hearing this story and not being inspired and to come on the heels of such a great tragedy. You know, I, do you think in your heart of hearts that people that go through great tragedies have an opportunity to become a better version of themselves? I do. I do. I do. And I've listened to those stories on, on, on profound awesomeness. Those are the, you know, the, the podcast is about people who've been through traumatic situations, other calamities, close brushes with death, things of that nature, and how they've come out the other side, living with more meaning, intent, and purpose. And I hear it over and over and over again, that, that people, and, and what I, what I hope happens is that the wisdom that is shared through the podcast can help people either that are going through something traumatic or aren't, but are seeking to elevate their consciousness, their awareness and, and who, how they fit into the world with more meaning, intent and purpose. Um, and so that is how, you know, how I've gotten um, out there to, to help people. And I think I've lost the, the thread of the question. I apologize. <laughs> I got, no. got on a roll there. I think I got off the topic. I apologize. Not at all. We were just talking about, you know, in some ways, in some ways, I feel like the purpose of tragedy is that there's a force bigger than you can imagine yeah, that that's is right. going to take your hand and run through it and say, look, you, I'm going to put you through this because I think you're strong enough to come to the other side and help people. I see it since I've been doing the podcast. That's what I've seen it over and over and over again. And these people, they come back and they want to help. They, they understand the urgency of life. And that being in service yeah. of others is part of their, their greater purpose and higher calling. And when you do, when you put yourself in service of others and, and follow that calling, like how it just changes so much of your perspective in life and the rewards you get back by giving, you get, get back so much more. I've found in my own personal experience and from what I've heard through these stories that I'm telling on, on the show. Yeah. I can't agree anymore. And I, I really, it's so crazy to say something like this, but I'm thankful for people who find themselves in the worst tragedy of their life. You know, and I, I almost want to cry when I think about your story and think about some, some things that have happened, but I'm thankful that those are going through some of the biggest tragedies in their life because you get a chance to hear the voice whisper in your you get a chance to be embraced by a love that you can't even imagine is waiting for you if you're willing to do the work. Because even though you talked about how lucky and fortunate you were, the I can tell in the way you told your story that 
the way you had tears gushing through you when Christina is saying, hey, I found somebody. When your daughter's walking underneath the picture of her, you know, paternal grandparents, like all of these things start bubbling up inside you that there's no words to explain how difficult, even though on a, on a razor's edge, you're happy. There's got to be some fear in there too. And it, it's, it's that having the courage to walk that razor's edge and change will get you to where you want to go. What there was some fear in there sometimes, right? Like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Are they going to like me? Are they not going to like me? Like maybe we, maybe you could touch a little bit more on, on some of the the thoughts you had that may have been juggling between fear and, and happiness or were there thoughts there that were like that? Um, I'll tell you. So the, the heart attack coming out of the heart attack, there was definitely fear. Um, okay. like, Oh my gosh, is this going to happen again? Uh, mm, is the other shoe yeah. going to drop? Uh, if I go like early, early days, like if I go for a walk two blocks away from my house, if I have a heart attack, like what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. so that, that was why, why I really like cardiac rehab made such an impact on me and really helped me psychologically get over some, some pretty serious hurdles. And it, it was, it wasn't long thereafter that I was on a, uh, on a plane to Europe and that took a little gut when I bought that plane ticket, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be in the air for, I can't remember like 12 hours or something like that from where I live. Like what if it happens on an airplane? Anyway, so those what ifs of are long. I don't I don't think that way anymore. But there, right. there was definitely fear when it when it came to the biological family component of the story. Christina would sit me before I sent the letter. She would sit me down and say, "Are you ready for this? Like we don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Like they could get your letter and call you and say pound sand. Mm -hmm. They could they could never respond." They could respond and they could want to get all in your kitchen about everything. And suddenly you've got this intrusive person that you were just hoping to get to know. And they just want to like be super overbearing and get involved with your life in ways you're not comfortable. Like you, that could happen too. Like, yep, but I'm going to do it because I need answers for myself. And I, my kids need answers too. They don't know it yet, but they need answers. So I'm going to do this. And so for the, the adoption union part, I didn't, I, there was no, I didn't have fear. I was just, it was gung ho. It was like all systems go. We're doing this. So I, I I had written down this other point that I think is really relevant. And I, I wanted to just it, it, it talks about patterns. And since you told me you were you were this one man who was doing these things and you had the cars, you had the time, you had the family, and then you went on your the mountain biking path, and then boom, the world changes forever. So in my book, I had written down here that patterns, despite what they say, people do not seek help from a therapist or counselor because they have a problem. People seek help because they realize that without intervention, the repetitive nature of certain thoughts, feelings, and behaviors will continue over and over. So do you think that the way you, you had a way of thinking that was a pattern, and then after your accident, that pattern was erased and you were given a new pattern. You had mentioned to me yes. that after the heart attack, you would go for a walk and you thought to yourself, what if it happens again? What if it happens again? That's a radically shift in thinking about what is important. It's a radical shift in what's meaningful. And it's a radical shift in the way you're going to live your life. So what? What? let me get your thoughts on changing patterns of thinking. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Everything changed, right? I mean... Everything because 
Yeah, I mean, it's true though. It's a, it's a, God, these great questions. Um, the whole, the whole pattern changed. Like, I'm sorry to be if this is mundane or menial, but like my diet changed, like con consumption habits changed. Um, how I did, what I did with my free time changed. I started to work out more, started to blog, started to do public speaking um, for people like the American Heart Association, like that sort of thing changed. Then the pattern of being an adoptee with no uh, connection to biological family or to biological roots, to suddenly having the door thrown open and having access to this incredibly loving family. And then to allow that family into our, our home and our hearts as, as, as much as they are allowing us into their home and hearts as well. So that pattern changed. Um, so yeah, the patterns got blown up. Um, and, and, and my, you know, and quite candidly, my professional pattern changed. I soon thereafter left my job in, in, in corporate America and, and, and took a job with a large financial services firm and took a job with a smaller one closer to home so that I had more time to do the adoptee advocacy work, to, to write the blogs, to go to the gym, to make sure I was at all my kids' school events and sporting events and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> like everything, like everything. I'm like, you know, I, I sat, in fact, in fact, George, I sat down with um, my wife after my heart attack and I said, okay, Outside of our friends, because you asked about relationships, and yeah. they're super important to me. Outside of our relationships, that they they're not going to change. Our relationships are they they might get enhanced by this new biological family, but our relationships aren't going to change. But everything else in our in my life, how I'm living my life, is up for total discussion. How I do it, where I do it, what I'm doing, when it's happening, like all of that, I put on the table. Um, so yeah, so we attacked those patterns pretty aggressively <laughs> and, and, and I would say that, you know, that, that expression, what's the expression to, to, to go through change or to grow, you've got to get uncomfortable. There's a lot, there's a lot of that, that sure. I was uncomfortable at times, but I, I knew that for some reason, maybe this is the, the higher power, like planted in my consciousness that if you go through this, if you trust me, if you allow this to happen, you're going to come out the other side with so much more abundance so much, so many more gifts, so much more love in your life. Like just believe and go for it. Uh, and so that's what I did. Um, and here we are. Yeah. In fact, just full circle. So yesterday was a Sunday. I had Ron and Sharon over at our house for lunch yesterday and they were here for one, two, three, four hours together. So we've made, they've, um, I've got, they never talked after, uh, they ended the engagement. They went their separate ways and effectively never talked again. We're never in touch. And even early days in my reunion, there was um, concern about ever being connected again. And and here we are now. We've got them back together and talking and being comfortable and, and working on their relationship and friendship. And and it's like, wow. I mean, it's just so such cool so much groovy coolness that's happening it's amazing it is amazing it's it's so yeah. profound for me to think that the 
the the world outside of us may be a direct reflection of the world inside of us. And if you change, if you radically change the way you think and the patterns of your life, you'll radically change the patterns of the yeah. world around you, the relationships, the love, the embracement, the acceptance, the awareness. It's it's mind blowing, right? Yeah, mind blowing, completely mind blowing. And for me, knock on wood, I'm. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I feel very lucky. You know, I, I have adoptees yeah. that, that have uh, friends and, and acquaintances that have gone out and done a search and it didn't go great. The reunion was not what they had hoped for. It hasn't worked out or maybe it worked out at the beginning and then things got strained later on. Like we're six and some years into this right now. We're still figuring it out, but it's been nothing short of a, a Hallmark or Lifetime Channel movie so far. Uh, with the acknowledgement, acceptance, and embrace that we've we've been going through, and I will say, and I, when my mom was really tender, like early days of the search, and when we found we'd found them, but we hadn't reached out to them yet, I said, "Mom, if this works out, you should be grateful, knowing that there'll be so much more love, not only in your son's life, in my life, but in your grandchildren's lives." Like presumably my kids will have so much more love and people looking out for them than they ever could have imagined a few short weeks ago. So not sure where that thought came from, but I wanted to loop it in because it was something that came yeah. up earlier when we were talking in terms of like, how do we think about these things? And if you, if you embrace the change, sometimes, sometimes, I, I wish it would happen for everybody that they would get the results that they, they hope for, but you've got to go through it to get there. You've got to go through it. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that understanding the risks of, Hey, this may not work out the way you want. Like that's an, such an important part, but I want to tell people that, and, and I don't know, but my opinion is that trauma is not only in the individual, but it's generational trauma that you're working through. And when you as an individual find a way to break through a generational trauma, like something that you hold that maybe may not be the best pattern, you know, like sometimes children live the unlived dreams of the parents. And so when you as an adult can find a way to break through that generational trauma, it's one less thing your kids are going to have to do. And it helps to pan back and see yourself as, Look, I am my mother's son. I am my great grandmother's grandson. And, you know, when you can understand yourself as a process that's been happening and evolving, then you can begin to understand the traumas in your life may not all be yours, but you can help move the next generation along by confronting this thing that is traumatic. And it may not get the results you want, but it'll definitely help the next generation move through their traumas because it sets the pace and it sets the path forward to to combat maybe not combat but to confront the very things that are that are scary to you to confront the things that are blocking you from moving forward what is your take on like the generational trauma mm. yeah that's that's a good one um yeah and like what is it what's the term is it epigenetics epigenetics is that is that it? Am I thinking of the? Yeah, I the think right you're term? spot on there. Is that it? Yeah. Um, you know, I, the only way I can think about it is that my kids have seen it in action, and mm -hmm. hopefully they they what I've been through and how I held my conducted myself 
the standards I held myself to going through the heart attack recovery process and through the adoptee, the search and reunion process. I mean, I went through borderline catastrophic trauma, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, not even borderline, and catastrophic trauma. Catastrophic, <laughs> I mean, I made it, I guess that's why I say borderline, but I mean yeah, like, yeah, right. catastrophic, like holy cow. Um, yeah. The mortality rate on the condition that I had was is close to darn near 100%. I mean, it's way up there. So to see that and to see their dad come back and come back a fighter uh, yeah. and, and to hopefully, hopefully they saw me do it with a smile on my face and with grace. I, I'll let them be the judge of that. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure that probably not, but, um, and then to see me go find my truth to be a, to be a person just wants answers and to not be afraid of getting there. Um, even if the road may twist and turn a little bit, but to stay, stay true to it and stay committed even when we don't know what the results may be. And my kids knew this, like I would sit down and say, hey, I'm going to send letters and I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Uh, hopefully generationally they pick up on this and, and they I've modeled something for them that they can take with for them and they can model for their kids. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's how I, how I think about it from a, from a generational standpoint. And I don't know for like, being in utero with Sharon, like if I picked up anything from her, I probably did. You know, they say there's there's research now, which I'm not super well schooled in, but about how um, babies in utero become attached to their biological mother. I mean, we we know we know children are, are clearly sure. attached to the, their their mothers. I get that, but like. The, the sound of her voice, the scent of her milk, the taste, like they know this. Yeah. And, and when you are, and I will, this is a, a public service announcement for people who are, are interested in this. And I'm going to go off on a tangent, but hopefully it's helpful. It'll be a very quick one. Adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide than non-adoptees. Adoptees are overrepresented in addiction treatment settings than non-adoptees. And there are many reasons for this. And I think one of the big ones is that the PTSD that occurs when we are separated from our, our, our mothers at birth, um, as, as was the case for me um, in, the, in the good old olden days, um, where the mother was not able to hold me or care for me for any period of time, but it was like born and swept away. And for the first 19 days of my life, I have no idea what happened to me. I was in some sort of baby care situation <laughs> until I was adopted by mom and dad. But, um, but yeah, so there is some, there is some trauma there. And I wonder if that somehow through, ep and I, I'm using the term epigenetics. I've got to look it up because I probably am not yeah. ac accurately using it. And I might, might be incorrect. I probably should pull it up and look, look at it. But um, I don't know if I passed anything on through my, my genes as a result of the trauma I had at, at, at birth being separated from Sharon right away. Maybe that's something passed on to my kids in that way. I haven't seen anything surface, but, but potentially, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't even know where to go. It's such a beautiful, I wish I was there to give you a hug, Adrian. I would give you a big <laughs> hug right now and tell you, I love you, man. It's such a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm thankful that you took a moment to share it with me and everybody here 
And it seems as if you're kind of a beacon for light who, for people who may find themselves trying to find their parents or trying to find themselves creating a better way for themselves after a traumatic event. Um, mm -hmm. As I'm getting close to landing the plane here, I can't possibly let you go without you letting people know where they can find you, um, mm -hmm. what you got coming up and, and where, what you're excited about. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, thank you so much for that. And I know we've talked about the, the podcast, Profound Awesomeness, but that's how people can find me. That's where I'd point mm -hmm. them is to wherever you download your podcast, wherever you're listening to this, you can uh, most certainly get Profound Awesomeness. Uh, you can you can track me down that way. Um, what I'm really excited about is to take the, the podcast. I'm trying to get better as a podcast host and as a podcast uh, producing it myself. Uh, just trying to get better there and to continue to grow and evolve it to get more and more of these stories of, of from call it from trauma to triumph type stories uh, out yeah. there to, to put into to share. And it is unapologetically intended to be a good news uh, type of situation. Like I'm sitting on my little lily pad in the universe with my little bullhorn saying, here's some positive news. Hopefully we can make a difference. And if we can, if we can hopefully help inspire and motivate one person that's, that's, I don't say it's all we could hope for, but yes, we've done something really good. If it's just one person, if we can affect change and help tons of people, oh my gosh, just think of the power of that. So I'm really excited about where that's going. Um, I, I'm now starting to get active on social media. I've got a profound awesomeness Instagram page. I got a Facebook page. All this is very new. Um, so I'm excited to just, just grow it and keep adding to the, the layers of what we're doing with the show, Profound Awesomeness. It seems like natural progression to me. It seems like the event that happened to you was like a pebble thrown into a glassy sheet of water. And now the rings are just getting bigger and bigger and affecting more and more people. And, uh, you know, nice and you say. yeah, it's true. It's true. And it, that's the natural progression from, you know, if we take it back to patterns, here you are shifting your patterns in life. And then all of a sudden you're collecting other people that are shifting patterns in their life. And when you shift them together, you have this incredible profound awesomeness that is making the world better and i love yeah. it and i'm really thankful that there's people doing what you're doing and i'm so thankful to get to play a small part in in getting to host your story and and learning yeah. from it and taking inspiration from it so yeah and, and and one one thing and thank you once again it's been a yeah i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and uh it's been great getting to know you I, I one thing i would say to the ripples and the ripple effect that that i think that it was learning for me early in this process is that everybody to be successful, everybody, when I say to be successful in the adoption reunion process, mm -hmm. everybody has to be willing to grow. And if you're willing to grow, it could work for everybody. And I, I found that to be the case in my situation. Again, we talked about acknowledgement, sorry, acknowledgement, acceptance and embrace. Like if you're going through that and you're providing that you're growing, you're willing to grow and to, if we could all grow, be willing to grow and willing to embrace and to push out those, the ripples from the pedal to affect more people. Like I just think what, think of the power of that and what, what we could do to help people. If people are looking Adrian for help, is that like a service that you provide? Like if people wanted some help and trying to find the right people to get them on that path, would they reach out to you? I would, I would welcome that conversation. Absolutely. Yep. 
And then I have a link to your your personal website. That maybe that's where they would go if they hear this story, or they maybe you hear this story and you know someone that's been asking questions or something like that. They could maybe reach out to that link and then maybe start a conversation with you or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I need to update a few things on that site, but one hundred percent they can go there too. Yes, Adrian yeah. Jones. You're talking about Adrian Jones. Yes. Yep, yes, that's, that's exactly the one. The one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, oh, that little site. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recommend everybody check it out. It's a beautiful site, and it's really well worded. And if you like the story that you heard here today, then you'll you will find a similar feeling of warmth when you go to that site and start reading through it. So, mm, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to do it. Is there anything else you would want to point people towards, or do you have any anything in closing, any kind of advice, or any any anything else you want to give to people? Boy, I feel like I've talked so much. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I just I just encourage everybody to take just take a minute, and and I'm and I'm not much into meditation. Not that I'm against it. I I actually think I need to to learn how to do it and to carve it into my own schedule. But what I would ask for people is to just every day take five minutes, just stop what you're doing. And, and there are probably people who, who are very seasoned at this, who do a lot of meditative coaching and stuff like that, who would have some great advice. But just from my perspective, take the five minutes every day to sit still and take an account of what you have in your life and how utterly blessed we are to get to do things every day um, because we don't know. It's trite to say we don't know when it's going to be gone. We don't know when our last breath is. No breath is guaranteed. So just take that time every day. Just pause, slow down. You have 24 hours a day. You can take five minutes and just take account of how lucky you are. Wherever your circumstances, you can find luck and the blessings in your life. That would be my my final thought, I think. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's, it's true. It's very true. Well, Adrian, I, again, that is such a profound story. And uh, I don't know the last time I cried like that on a podcast. So thank you. <laughs> Move to tears. Yeah. Mission yeah. accomplished. No, I'm joking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's good. It's, it's, it's everything that a good story and a, and a good, it's, it's, it's just, it's everything. And I'm, I'm really thankful for you and your family and all of them. And I'm even more excited that, this potential could be there for other people to to have potentially. And I think that sharing stories like that is something that is a lost art form. And I'm really proud to know that there's people doing it. So thank you very much. And um, hang on one second. I'm going to end the broadcast for the people, but I want to talk to you for one more moment. So Sounds great. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the story today and hanging out with both of us. I hope you enjoyed the story and the time and the lessons that we got to share and learn. And that's all we got for today. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. 
I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.